I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to, um, uh, let's just start in Genesis and go all the way through tonight. What do you think? It's all good. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. First book, chapter six, Matthew chapter six. <clears throat> We're going to talk tonight about self-inflicted pain. Now, let me go ahead and just say right off about self-inflicted pain is dumb. <laughs> self-inflicted pain. We're going to talk about self-inflicted joy too. That's smarter, isn't it? All right, I'm visiting with a fellow one time, and he's a, uh, he was a, a nurseryman. He owned a wholesale uh, nursery. He, he did shrubs, and they were, you know, a wholesaler, and he had a large, large business there. And I'm talking to him. We're talking about life, and he said, Preacher, he said, you know why I quit getting drunk? I said, why'd you quit getting drunk? He said, uh, well, several years ago, he said, I, you know, I wasn't an alcoholic, but he said, I, I'd get drunk at times and just celebrate. And he said, one time, boys, turn me down a little bit. I'm scaring myself. He said, one time I, uh, I just drank too much and, and, and uh, drank way too much. And he said, I woke up the next morning. He said, I felt like a train had run over me and then backed over me. He said, I've never felt so bad in my life. And he said, after I, after I started feeling a little better, I said to myself, I said, self, if somebody else had done this to you, you'd go on their heads. But you did this to yourself. And he said, he decided that that was dumb to do that to yourself. So he decided I ain't gonna do that to myself no more. I said, you, you're pretty smart. I got friends hadn't figured that out yet. I said, you've done good. Self-inflicted misery. All right, we're gonna talk tonight. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna have some fun. I'm gonna have fun at your expense. We're gonna have some fun tonight. I'm gonna just, here's what we're gonna talk about. I'm just gonna put it out of the bag. Here it is. From, and I'm going to show you in Scripture. You know, if I couldn't show you in Scripture, I wouldn't make statements like this. If your focus and your attention is more on the media, and that's social media, news media, than it is on the Father's truth, your pain is self-inflicted. Your misery is self-inflicted. Your anger is self-inflicted. And your depression, you brought on all by yourself. If your attention... There's a battle for the mind today. There's a battle for people's attention today. And if your attention is focused more on media and social media, various medias, news medias, uh, all that stuff, you know, Valley Boy 2657 in his mama's basement, you know, the keyboard warrior. If, that, if that's what you're paying attention to more than you're attending to the Father's truth, your pain, you brought, you brought it on yourself. You're hitting yourself in the head. All right, let's learn from scripture. I'm gonna, I could really help you tonight. Uh, you know what the Father's cure for? We're suffering from emotional pain in this nation. Tremendous emotional pain. Uh, experts would say it like this. They call it mental health problems. And we are suffering from tremendous mental health problems in this nation right now. And, and I'm, I'm not surprised because we have created a culture that we live in that is hell on mental health. Or as the Bible would call it, the soul. Soul pain. And we've created a culture that's wearing our heads out. And uh, our Father has a cure for it. Why don't you look with me in Proverbs chapter, well, no, no, Matthew 6. We're in Matthew 6 here. Now, do you know what Matthew 6, you know where we're at here? This is part of the greatest teaching ever taught on the planet called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthews 5, 6, and 7 are the greatest teaching ever taught. Now listen, this won't get you into heaven. This is Jesus' teaching. It won't teach how, to, it won't help to get you into heaven. This is the teaching that gets heaven into you on the planet. You understand the difference? Certain parts of the Bible help us get to heaven. Certain parts of the Bible help get heaven into us on the planet. Well, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven is the greatest sermon ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. 
And the thing about this message here that Jesus taught 2,000 years ago, it is absolutely timeless for today. Technology changes, cars change, hair colors change regularly. How to live life and deal with people never changes since the caveman. And Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are the greatest teaching on how to live. And right at the heart of this teaching is one of the greatest truths that we uncover on having an abundant, great life. Uh, Many people know the major parts of this, the Sermon on the Mount. They know the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, They know about cutting your hand off if it offends you. They they know about building your house on a rock. But this is one of the most untouched teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. But it's one of the most important ones for your daily life. And we're going to learn how to implement this tonight. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 22, Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 22. The lamp of the body is the what? Eye, your eye is the lamp of your body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. How many of you'd like for your, uh, you may not understand what that means, but how many of you'd just like to just be full of light? I mean, just glow in the dark. All right, how, how do you get full of light? Your eye has to be good. All right, the next verse says this. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be what? Full of darkness. How many of you would like to be full of darkness? Full of darkness. Listen, he's not speaking to pagans. This is to his people. Uh, You can look in the first verse of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, his disciples sat down and he taught his disciples. So this is not even for Christians. This is for disciples. And he said, a disciple can either be full of light or full of darkness. It's up to them. Well, surely you know disciples ought to be full of light. Let's read verse 23 again. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great that darkness. You know, he's not talking about your eyeball. What do you do with your eye? You look at stuff. If the focus of your life, what you focus on is light, you will be full of light. If what you focus on is dark, you're going to live your life full of darkness. Let me say it again. If your focus is more on media than on the Father's promises, your weariness is self-inflicted. We don't want to be full of darkness, dear ones. We want to be full of light. All right. The Lord Jesus does some wonderful things for us. I'm going to stand here till I get three amens. Let's get to it. However, there are many things that we are responsible for doing for ourselves in the kingdom. I changed my son's diapers when he was a baby. Twice. His mother did it most of the time. He's 25. I ain't changing them now. Can I get a witness? You understand what I'm saying? Okay. The Lord Jesus will do some things for you in the early stages. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says. All right. The scripture teaches us about light and darkness here. And it's just so simple. This, we make this stuff so complicated. Dear ones, if you stare at crap, you're going to be full of crap. If you stare at beauty, you will be full of light. Our Heavenly Father created our minds and our emotions and our hearts. That's called the human soul. He created all this stuff to work a certain way. And, and you can pray all you want to, but it ain't going to do you no good. Now, there's some things you should pray about. There's some things you just need to do for yourself. And the Bible says, if your eye is bad, you're going to be full of darkness. But if your eyes, I made a decision. I want to be full of light. I've been full of darkness. I don't know what people see in it and why they insist on doing it. 
but I've been full of light and I've made a decision. I want to live full of light. It says, nice, you don't want to be a light for other people. No, that's for me. I like being in the light and being a light. All right, so the scripture is very clear that this is uh, our focus makes all the difference in the world. All right, our father has a cure for this misery that we're in. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter four, if you would. Boys, turn me down again. I'm, uh, I'm starting to hurt. My head's starting to hurt. Thank you. All right, Proverbs chapter four. This is so simple. Why, why is it that we want stuff so complicated and deep so we can be impressed with it? Then we just need to receive the simplicity of Jesus when he gives us something here. Proverbs chapter four. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw in a side verse before we get to verse four. Verse 18. I love Proverbs 4, 18 says this. One of my favorites. The path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter until the perfect day. Tell me which way your life ought to be going after you start following Jesus. Better and better, up and up. The path of the just is like the shining sun that gets brighter and brighter every day. What's the perfect day? What's the greatest day of my life? It's the day I see Jesus. That's the perfect day. I should start with Jesus here and it should get brighter and brighter till the day I see him face to face. All right. But here's the verses I want you to look at. It's Proverbs 4.20. My son or my daughter, attend to my words or give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. What does that sound like to you? Does that sound like once a week I go listen to a preacher talk? Does that sound like I throw in a little 10 minute devotional in the mornings? What does that sound like? Attend, keep in your heart, pay attention. Now, why should I do that? Read verse 22 with me. They are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. You want a great life? You want your heart healed? You want your mind healed? There was the word of God is alive. It's powerful. And the spirit of God takes the word of God and he brings healing into your life. Listen, the word of God is just transformative when it's alive. And the great truths, the beauty of God and the Father's light and truth just changes us. But uh, there's a reason that it can't change some people. What is it? Go back and read verse 20. They never look at it. You've got to attend to the word for it to have its effect in you. All right. <clears throat> let, me, uh, let me talk to you about your mind a minute. I, I have a, a natural physical problem called gout. My body just makes too much uh, uric acid. And uric acid creates something called gout. If you've never heard of gout, gout is uh, it, it's Satan's favorite. It's, it's the pain from hell. There's nothing like it, it with the exception of childbirth. I'm, I'm wondering sometimes if it isn't a little ahead of it. Gout is terrible. There's no pain like it. And uh, it comes from making too much uric acid. So, and I've, ha I've had a problem with it. So my doctor said, I'm gonna give you a pill and there's nothing fancy about it. It's just lime, same lime you put on your yard. You know, when you want your yard to balance out, just give you a lime pill, eat a lime pill. It offsets the uric acid in your body. And I suffered terribly from gout until she started giving me lime pills. Well, you know, they got to give them a fancy name. I think it's called allopurinol because you know, lime pills would be 25 cent. Allopurinol is $8 a piece. You give it a fancy name, you make some money off of it. But she gave me this, this lime pill. And uh, after she gave me that pill, if I ever have gout again, whose fault is it? I got the cure. All I have to do is eat it. This is so simple, dear ones, about how to keep light before us and to live in the light. I'm gonna ask you a question. I want you to think with me for a little bit. What's the only thing you're in total control of? You can't control this planet. You can't control your children. Huh, you'd get amen out of that. 
Women try to control their husbands. How's that doing you? You can't control the government. What is the only thing this book says you're in total control of? Your mind. You're not even controlling part of yourself. Your mind is the only thing you have total rule over. You're free to think anything you want to think at any time. That is the one last bastion of total control. I want you to, let me remind you of a fellow. Do anybody here remember Colonel Norman McDowell? Colonel McDowell came and spoke to us. He's been here twice. He may be the most resilient human being I've ever met. Colonel McDowell, he's 80 years old now. He was, he's a black fellow, and I tell you that because he was raised in Lumbee County, and a very, his father was a sharecropper, which is just one, it's just very poverty, great poverty in the 1940s. His father was a sharecropper, which meant you worked somebody else's land, they got most of the money, and you got a little share of the money because you did the cropping. That's why they're sharecroppers. And they had virtually nothing. You know, they just, they, they worked hard just to eat, is all they did. And life was very hard for a young black boy, in the 1940s. That that, and I grew up in the segregation era in the 1940s and there was, there was no opportunity for a young black boy in the 1940s, especially coming from a sharecrop family. So you understand he, he was pretty much doomed as a young man. However, let me tell you what he had. He had a mama that really knew Jesus and his mama drilled it into his head you can be anything you want to be. And, and she made me memorize and she'd tell me over and over, if God be for us, who can be against us? And that was an era in the 1940s for a young black boy when a lot of people were against him and could have been against him. And matter of fact, one of my dearest friends, he's gone on to be with the Lord. He was, he was 82 when he passed away two years ago. And uh, he told me he grew up in Hillsborough. He attended the Hillsborough Regular Colored High School. And he said, I wasn't allowed to go in movie theaters. I wasn't allowed to go to the white school. A lot of things I couldn't do. But he said, my mother, who was a godly lady, she was the oldest member of our church at one time. <laughs> and I told him, I'm laughing. Hey, I always ask him, Walter, I said, how come you don't sit with your mama? He said, Brother Brian, I used to sit with my mama. And one day somebody thought she was my wife, so I'm not going to sit with her anymore. <laughs> so he wouldn't, you know, his mama, his mama was a hundred years old when she passed away, still going to church here. And Walter died at 82. And Walter said, you know, when I graduated from high school, the only jobs that black folks could have back then were what they call service jobs. You, know, you couldn't get the good jobs back then. And uh, Walter did he just, he just such a class guy and such a great guy, but he'd been taught about faith and he believed God and God did some great things in his life. Well, Colonel McDowell had been taught by his mother, you can be anything you want to be. He said, well, I knew as a boy, I knew as a young boy, my only hope out of poverty and to make it would be through the military. He said, because you're good getting the military. And I decided, he said, so I, you know, I saw the Marines digging in the sand. I saw the army digging in the dirt. And I, so I decided to go Air Force because they had, they had ties and shirts on. So I went to Air Force and he excelled in the Air Force. He was shot down over Vietnam and he spent seven years in the, the infamous Hanoi Hilton prisoner of war camp in, Hano, in Hanoi, in Vietnam. He was shot down and he was the ranking officer for several of those years, ranking U.S. officer for several of those years. And uh, Walter's, I, I talked to him about this. I said, Walter, how did you, uh, I'm, excuse me, got Walter in my mind. I said, Colonel Mack, I said, how did you endure that? I understand three months, six months, but seven Christmases came and went. And he said, we were treated so terribly. He said, but we got a, little, we got a handful of rice every day. It would have dirt and little, small gravel in it. And he said, we might get a fish head once in a while. And he said, we, we, they starved us to death. They beat us mercilessly. There was no heat in the winter. There was no air conditioning in the summer. It was a miserable life. And he said, I was responsible for keeping these men's morale up. And then he said, it was, you know, seven years is a long time. 
very long time. And he went through that and he was finally released. And after, you know, after the war came to an end, Vietnam War came to an end, he went on and he became a professor at the War College, U.S. War College in Washington and retired from there and moved to Twin Lakes to be near his son here. And just one of my most resilient person I ever met. I, I, the last time he was here, I said, I want to take you and your wife out to eat because I wanted my children to be around him. He is the most excited person I've ever met in my life. I mean, he, he, he salutes his wife every morning, she says. He just, he, he just bubbles. And I think, how did a man who was raised in the environment he was raised in when young black boys didn't stand a chance, goes off to war, interned for seven years in hell on earth. How does he, and he's, he's such, he loves his nation. He loves God. He loves people. He loves life. He just, you can't turn him off. You cannot turn him off. I took him out to eat with our family because one of my kids would be around him. We sat down, they told me where they wanted to go. We sat down. And uh, he, he just was, t- I said, tell him about this, tell him about it. And, he, and I'd, he's telling, and about three or four times his wife would say, Walter, I'm excuse me, I got Walter. <laughs> She'd say, Norm, be quiet and let somebody else talk. He'd say, I, I will, I will, sweetheart. Do you remember the time? And then he'd just take off again. <laughs> Finally, I heard his wife say, I heard her say, box it up, he'll take it with him. I looked and it'd been, we'd been sitting there two hours. He hadn't taken one bite yet. He was so busy talking about how good God was, how great the nation was, how God had blessed him. He glowed in the dark. How do you come out of that kind of environment with that kind of pain and have that kind of attitude? I asked him, I said, Walt, I'm going to change his name to Walter. His name is <laughs> Colonel Walter McDowell. <laughs> got Walter, I said, Colonel Mac, I said, now tell me the truth. I know you love Jesus, but I got a lot of folks love Jesus. They get a hangnail and they got to have emergency help. I said, how do you have such hope and resilience with all you've been through? He said, Brother Brian, when I was locked in that camp and they had me inside there and, and I knew, he said, they, and he said, they picked on me, especially because I was black. And they drilled me and said, you know, your nation doesn't care about you. And they drilled me and said, they, at one time they offered me $50,000 and, a, and an airline ticket and a new passport to go anywhere I wanted to if I'd make a video denouncing the United States. And uh, he said, I said, well, how'd you keep your attitude? Listen, I want you to listen to what he said. He said, Brother Brown, I knew this. They could take everything away from me. They made me stand naked before the tribunals there. They beat me mercilessly, but I knew one thing. They cannot take my thinking away from me. He said, they can control my environment, but they can't control what I think. And I made the decision as my mama taught me I will decide how I think. They won't tell me how to think. And he said, I preached that to those men. And he developed a little uh, tap-tap system where he could communicate with the men throughout the prison. And he, he tap-tap scriptures to them. And, and he said, you know, you got a lot of time on your hands if you do something like that. And, uh, but, he, but his attitude and knowing God gave me control over this mind and I'll choose what I think about. And it was that ability. You know what he did? Even in the worst of conditions as a young boy, and as a, as a pilot, in the worst of conditions, he stayed focused on the light. And his body was full of light. And he's full of light today. Do you understand what I'm saying here? You know, your mind is the one thing you're in control of. If you're waiting for the nation to get straightened up for you, you can be happy. You need to go ahead and call Elon and get on the next flight to Mars is what you need to do. <laughs> what are you waiting on to be happy? What are you waiting on to shine? If you're waiting on something that's supposed to happen that you're not in control of, you better start dealing with what you are in control of, which is your mind and your, your, what you choose to think about. 
I mean, so many Christians today are so full of darkness. And they say, well, Brother Brian, you, you just can't help it. You know what the Lord Jesus Christ tells me? If your eye is on the light, you'll be full of light. If you're full of darkness, it's not because of what's going on around you. It's because you have made a, listen to this word. I love this word, choice. I can't get one amen out of choice. Your father will do everything for you, but he will not make your choices for you. He's going to honor your free will. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter three. Let's look at this. Colossians chapter three. All right. A lot of things he'll do for me, but he is not going to think for me. I get to think for myself. And every morning I get to start over. Colossians chapter three. I love, I started to say I love this scripture, but you're getting tired of hearing it. Let's look at these words. Hey, everybody, look right up here before we look at these words. I'm giving you the secret that'll change your life tonight. This will bring you into light right here. All right, Colossians 3, verse 1. If you were raised with Christ, all right, if you're born again, you've been raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Look at the first three words in verse 2. Set your mind. You have the ability to do that. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Can you see from verse two that you have the right to think about whatever you want to? And by the way, set your mind on things above don't mean to look up and think about the stars (laughs) or heaven. Set your mind on higher things. Set your mind on the beautiful things. Set your mind on the faithful things. Get your mind out of the garbage. Get your mind out of the puke. Set your mind in a certain place. Did you not know you had control over your thoughts? Control your thoughts. All right. There's a famous lady teacher and uh, I've heard her say often, wherever the mind goes, the man follows or the woman. Where your mind goes is where you're, you tell me what you think about, I'll tell you where you're headed. Everything in our lives, I think is controlled by what we choose to think about. And that's why the Bible talks about being vigilant. First Peter 5, 8 says, be vigilant in your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Get hold of your thinking and be vigilant about it. Romans chapter eight, verse six, we won't look at it. Let me just quote it to you. Now, Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on the great things, the high things, the, uh, the truth of the father. But Romans 8, 6 says this, the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The mind set on garbage is death. Actually, I reversed that. Let me quote it again. Romans 8, 6 says, the mindset on garbage brings death to your whole body, your whole life. But the mindset on the things of the spirit brings life and peace. Let me ask you a question. You want death? You want life and peace? There's no, no sense in praying for it. That's not a pray for thing. That's a set your mind thing. You find peace by setting your mind somewhere. You find death by setting your mind somewhere in the same, uh, same issue. I, We need to have Colonel MacDowell back. His name is Norman MacDowell. We need to have Colonel MacDowell back. There is a, have you ever heard this word? How how many of you love the D word? Not Duke, discipline. (laughs) How many of you you ever heard, love the word discipline? There was this, discipline is the secret to life. Discipline is the secret to life. There is a discipline you need to start out with every day. Nothing will change your life more than the discipline of, of guarding your mind. I want you to look with me. In Philippians chapter four, the discipline that changes everything. 
in Philippians chapter 4. I was reading this passage years ago and it just exploded in my spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, mark a X and camp right here till you get this. Well, I'm still camping here. Matter of fact, a lot of mornings I don't get out of the bed, but I quote all five verses here. And th this is my wake up in the morning, calibrate it and set it in the right direction here. Thing. You don't know what a thing is. Does anybody old enough remember a compass? All right, so a few old people remember a compass. Well, you don't have that now. You have GPS now and all this modern stuff. But when I was just a boy and my uncle that made, you know, was such an outdoorsman, he never got married. I asked him, I said, Uncle Wilson, how come you don't get married? He said, son, women mess you fishing up. Stay away from them. And he never got married. But he, I got my love for the outdoors from Uncle Wilson. We hunt and fish together. And he gave me a little compass. And he taught me how to use a compass. He said, you can always get home. And he taught me how to use that compass. Anybody know where the compass always points towards? You might know. Magnetic north. It always points toward magnetic north. And uh, see, if, see if you'll bear witness with me. You can be in the woods and be lost and think you're headed in the right direction. But you pull that compass out and you realize, whoa, this thing's right and I was wrong. Listen to what I'm fixing to say. Philippians chapter four, verses four through eight are magnetic north for the believer. <clears throat> you need to check this regularly to make sure you're headed in the right direction. This is, if you want to get to where there's a great life, this is magnetic north right here. Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Rejoice in the Lord. What's the next word? Tell me why it can't be done. Dear ones, you rejoice in your mind. Even if you can't make it out now, in your mind, I start out every morning, thank you that I get to live today. Thank you for the goodness of Jesus. Praise you for the kindness you've shown to me. Let me, let me tell you something. Times are going to be up and down. People are going to be up and down. The nation's down right now. The precious son of God is always wonderful. You can't, there's very few things you can rejoice in all the time except Jesus and his goodness. And you can rejoice in the Lord always. Why do you think he said again, I say rejoice. You ever do that to your kids? Tell them something twice. All right, here's the words. Verse five, let your gentle be known. Jesus is at hand. Verse six, be worried for nothing. I'll never forget first time I ever read those words. I have actually heard people say to me, now, Brother Brian, you know you can't worry. And I just want to, I'm just stunned at the people who will call the living God a liar. Who wrote this? Of course, I don't even, you know, I just sort of make an excuse, say, well, well, bless your heart. You know, I had to say something because I had to stay up there for 30 minutes. So just don't pay me no attention. God have mercy. It was the first time I ever read those words. I said, yeah, I may not know how, but guess what I know? If the man said it, it can be done. So now I'm rejoicing always and never worrying. He said, Brother Brown, I just don't understand. Look right here at your preacher. I don't need you to understand. I need you to believe the man. Get your big old head out of the way. Have you ever heard this? He will offend your head to test your heart to see if you will believe him so he can be good to you. I can rejoice all the time. I can choose not to worry, period. But in everything, by verse six, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Anything that comes up in my life, I'm turning it over to him. What are the three words so far? Rejoice no worry and gratitude. All right. Everybody wants peace. Brother, I'm just so upset. 
Read verse seven. And the peace of God that passes all understanding. Nobody knows why you're so peaceful. That's why it passes all understanding. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will set down over top of you like a sentry. Guard your heart and mind. But can you see, dear ones, look with me. Can you see that it's conditional on me doing what? I will set my mind on rejoicing today. I'm not going to waste time worrying today. I'm going to give thanks unto God because he's handling everything I've got. That's when the peace shows up. All right. I think verse eight is the cornerstone verse of the mind. It's the cornerstone verse of the mind. We've already seen in scripture that you have a right to think about what you want to. And uh, you have to make decisions with your thinking to have a great life. And verse eight is the eight-sided, I'm gonna call it the octagonal parameter of thinking. And he said this, I'm gonna change the words a little bit so you can understand them better. He said, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are true, the second word is better translated inspiring. How many of you, when you watch the news, you get inspired to come up higher? How many of you, when you got your snoot stuck in the Facebook, it just inspires you to greatness? What does inspiring mean? It means you, it causes you to want to come up. It raises you up. Whatever things are true, they're inspiring. Whatever things are honorable, we lack in some honor. Whatever things are pure, whatever things. Your Bible might say lovely. It's better translated beautiful. How many people are in mental institutions today because they couldn't find anything beautiful to think about? People in mental institutions because their minds are broken because of what they think about. I'm not discounting the chemical or the demonic. That has a play with it too. But the bottom line is our minds are messed up because we're thinking about garbage today. Listen to me. God didn't create our minds to dwell on garbage. Listen to me. We were created to stare at the beautiful. That's why when we see the beautiful, we love it so much. I love, I like the pictures that they put up here. Well, not that one. I mess all right. (laughs) Pictures, old men ain't going to inspire you much. I'm talking about when we're doing the music and we're playing music, those pictures of nature they put up there. I just stare at those pictures and I just, matter of fact, earlier this morning, I was looking at the most beautiful outdoors and I just, you know what I said? I just said, I want to meet the guy who made that. What kind of artist could make the nature outdoors like this? I think nature's beautiful. And those pictures reveal the beauty of God. Listen, the heavens declare the glory of God. And when you look at creation, you see the beauty of God. What did the Bible tell me to think on whatsoever things are beautiful? Now, you've got a choice. You can either think on the beautiful or you can think on the crappy. But your emotions and your attitude and all that stuff is going to follow whatever you choose to think about if, if your eye is on the light, your body will be full of light. But if you focus on the darkness, you're going to be full of darkness. Whatever things are beautiful. He said, whatever things are beautiful, whatever things are of, some Bible say good report. Uh, good report is encouragement on steroids. Have you ever thought about anything? Was just? Do you know anything that's just encouraging to think about? Listen, discipline your mind to think. Actually, it's the word faith building. It talks about building your faith. If it destroys your faith, why are you wasting time thinking about it? Seem like a smart person wouldn't do that to themselves. Can I get a witness? Told you I was going to have fun at your expense. And then whatever things are excellent. And then the eighth one is, does it make you want to shout? Not does it make you want to scream at somebody. Does it make you want to shout hallelujah? That's what praiseworthy means. I want you to look at those eight parameters right there. Let me ask you a simple question. 
If your mind was to stay within God's parameters right there, what would your life be like? If you stared at the beautiful, the encouraging, the excellent, the praiseworthy, the pure, what would happen in your head? What would happen in your heart? He, he can't do this for you. He gave you a free will. You got to choose to do it. But I want to make an announcement. Listen, everybody listen to me in this room. You can do this. You can do this. Say, brother, we live in such a crappy world. <laughs> got a lot of work to do here, don't we? Listen to what the Bible says. The earth is full of the beauty of the Lord. I wrote in my Bible. Go look at it. It's out there. And uh, the scripture, I'm telling you, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. You need to make a compact with yourself. I am never going to get out of bed in the mornings. My feet will not hit the floor until I say, this is a day of rejoicing. I will not worry today. I will be grateful today. And I will keep my mind focused on whatever Jesus tells me to. And this is going to be the greatest day of my life. That's what it calls to discipline your mind, to bring it around like that. Let me take just a minute and talk to you about your head for a second. Do not discount the demonic in your thinking. You say, Brother Brian, it's hard to think about stuff. That's the demonic. Do not discount the demonic battle that goes on between our ears. Listen, your enemy knows you control their head, you control everything else. There's a battle for your thought life in the demonic. That's why Ephesians chapter 6 Verses 10 through 18 say, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. You're familiar with this, but with principalities and powers of darkness. And it talks about taking on a helmet. What's a helmet do? It protects your being, protects your head, which is where the battle is. But I want you to look at a verse that deals with the demonic in our thought lives. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Dear ones, can I ask you a question? When are we going to start taking this spiritual warfare stuff serious? Now, you don't need to fixate with it. You don't need to become obsessed with it. And don't buy you some camouflage clothes and run around. Gosh almighty, that's as dumb as ignoring it. Demons are like roaches. You don't need to fixate on them, but you don't need... I mean, when you see them, stomp on them. That's all you need to do. Just stomp on them. Don't freak out. Don't start a roach-killing club. Just stomp on them. But if you ignore them, they'll make everybody in your house sick. Don't give them too much credit. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. See what you hear right here. Verse three, even though we walk in the flesh, we do not what? War. Did you not know you were in a war? According to the flesh, the weapons of our warfare, they're not natural, they're powerful, to pull down strongholds, casting down arguments, which is the word imaginations, everything that exists against the knowledge of God, watch these words, bringing every what? thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Make your head line up with Jesus. Now, spiritual warfare is not a thing in the world except thinking right. That's all it is. Spiritual warfare is not a thing in the world except getting your head right. Because the battle is between your ears and the Bible talks about us being in a war and you simply bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. All right, here's this thought about them people and them people are just them people and them people. I may even know that is not pure. That is not beautiful. That's not even true. So I'm going to bring that thought captive. I'm going to tell you how to get rid of thoughts. People say, I just can't help but think about stuff. Yes, you can. I'm going to tell you how in a second. But we got to do not underestimate the power of the demonic in our heads. Just a little old mess to get in there. Now listen to, listen, I'm fixing to help you right here. People think that if the demonic were involved in my life, my head would be screwing around and around 360 degrees. I'd be puking green stuff. Really? 
You need to let the word of God teach you how to think instead of Hollywood. Let's let the word teach us how to think. Let me tell you what I've learned about the demonic. They're just, they just come out of the shadows and pick. Just enough so that you don't know they're there. But they love to get in your thought life. And uh, if they jumped out and said, boo, it'd scare the hell out of you, you'd know what you're dealing with. That's why they stay in the shadows and just poke and keep you off a little bit to keep them from experiencing the abundant life of Jesus. Again, don't fixate on them, but don't put up with them. You know what's going on there. This, let me show you one of my favorite verses in the Bible, right across the page. 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 3. Talking about your mind. 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3. I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your what? Minds. Come on, guys, do the math here. What's the enemy after? He's after your mind. As he deceived Eve, so your minds might be corrupted from the what? The simplicity. The simplicity that is in Jesus. You ever hear anybody say this? Well, these are deep, complicated issues. There's a booger man behind that. No, these are very simple issues. Dear ones, keep it simple. Keep it in Jesus. Keep it in the Word. And do not let him get in your head and booger things up. All right, I'm going to give you two examples of how this works. We're not talking about evil people doing school shootings here. That's not a mental health problem. That's a demon. That's a demonic problem. That is demonic. And because our culture doesn't recognize the demonic, we don't know how to deal with that stuff. And you take all the guns away if you want to, he'll run over the kids with a school bus. It don't matter. He'll rent a rider truck, run over them. Demons know how to kill people. They're just going to grab the nearest available tool. All right. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about good people who are in a battle mentally here and, and struggle uh, with this stuff mentally. All right. I'm going to give you two examples. Uh, we don't have time to look at them, but in 2 Samuel, look, we don't have to, I'll just give them to you. 2 Samuel chapter 16 uh, is one of the funniest stories in the Bible, but it's one of the saddest stories. There's a little fellow named Shemai, S-H-E-M-E-I, and King David has just been, his throne has just been stolen from him. David's the greatest ruler that ever lived. His throne's been stolen from him by his son. Absalom stole the throne. And David's having to leave Israel to save his life. And he's got his chief of staff with him. Doeg has got his people with him. And he's, they're traveling in a big entourage and they're leaving. And the Bible said King David is heartbroken because his own son's turned against him. And as they're leaving, they're walking. And the Bible said a little man named Shemai came out and ran on the bank above David and cursed him and swore at him and threw rocks at him and kicked dirt on him. And he said, go up, go up, you rogue, you bloodthirsty man. And uh, why is this little guy so hateful toward David? Well, here's the deal. He was of the lineage of the house of Saul. I think he was a, his uncle or something was Saul. Well, Saul was the king that got replaced when David came in. And he's mad because he's mad because his mama got took out of her Sunday school class at the preacher. That's about what it boils down to. He's mad because his, his uncle lost his job in the whatever. And he's mad about it. And he's dwelt on it for years. Listen to me. This, this what he thinks is wrong. He has thought about it and thought about it. And it's burned in him. And it's got all him. And he's full of hatred. And he's full of rage. And now he's running along. Just a little fella throwing rocks at the king. His military commanders are around him. His chief commander said, why should he curse the king? May I go take his head off? And uh, David said, let him curse. We learn one of the greatest lessons in life from David right here. David never even looked at him. 
He said, do I not have more important things to deal with? He did not get caught up in this argument with this guy. He just kept walking because he had greater things to do. But uh, down the road, Shammai was killed because of this. You know why? Because he had a decision. He could dwell on the, what he thought was wrong and he could be angry and could be upset and he could lay in the bed and he could think about it and it killed him. All right, you flip the page. On the other hand, there's a fellow in Genesis 50 named Joseph. And Joseph, coat of many colors, Joseph. His father favored him and loved him. His brothers grabbed him, threw him in a pit. And he went through 17 years of the worst string of stuff could ever happen to anybody. He was thrown in a pit by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He lived in the prison. He got a job in a, a leader's house. The leader's old lady kept hitting on him. She lied. They got him back in prison. His friends, but I mean, you just a string of what? But listen to this. He ended up saving the world and being blessed. You know why? Because he kept his head where it needed to be. He didn't dwell on the injustice. He dwelt on the goodness of God. And the final thing you see him doing in chapter 50, his father dies. And now his brothers are terrified. And they said, lest Joseph should remember what we did to him. And they sent a messenger and said, uh, your dad said before he died, don't kill the boys. <laughs> Joseph brought them in. They didn't know whether there's going to be execution or what. And he wept and he said, is it in my hand? And then that, that famous verse when he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. To save many people alive. Where's that kind of thinking come from? Where, what, what causes a man to think like that? Or a woman to think like that? That's Colonel, Colonel Norm McDowell thinking is what that is. That's Colonel McDowell. Listen, everybody has bad stuff happen to them. You're not in the mess you're in because of what happened to you. You're in the mess you're in because of what you think about it. And this guy, Joseph, who had one of the worst series of events, people doing him wrong, he kept his head where it needed to be and he was blessed beyond measure and he saved the world. And Shemai, who just really nothing bad happened to him, but it ate him up because he couldn't get his mind off of it and it got him killed. Let's learn from the scriptures this head thing about getting it right and learning from this stuff. Let me, let me wrap up by saying this. You ever heard this before? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You ever heard that? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Have you ever noticed how he does not make you lie down in a shopping mall? An internet cafe? You ever notice how everything the Father does to restore people is always outdoors? He's real proud of his outdoors. Just saying. But there's a verse in there that goes like this. He restores my soul. He heals my weary mind. Your soul is your emotions, your mind, and your will. We're living in a place now where people's emotions are worn out. And there's, you ever heard this word, stress? We have built a culture that's crazy the way we live now. Take me back to Andy Griffith days. It ain't coming. I'm sorry. It ain't coming. And since it ain't coming back, you're going to have to learn to live in this one. But we've just built a crazy culture. I'm just, I'm wondering who's in charge of the caboose here, doc. But listen to me. He restores my soul. How does he restore my soul? Oh, oh help me, Lord. Help me. He will if you'll do it his way and quit telling him how to do it. Let's listen to it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. 
He heals your emotions. He heals your mind. He heals your burned out mess by taking you to what he calls green pastures and still waters. I, I wish I could tell you you can do this in five minutes. You can't. There's no five minute fix for a broken soul. The weirdness we're experiencing today can't be fixed in two minutes or five minutes. What we need, we need some regularly scheduled times of at length focusing on the beauty of God, His Word and His wonders. All right, how many of you ever just, how many of you ever went on vacation and uh, you got away for a week or so and you came back and you were just a different person? That's the miracle of God. I didn't, I didn't pray or nothing on that vacation. You experienced the miracle of God. You know what you did? You got in a different environment and your mind was changed and you thought differently. And when you think differently and you get in, the green pastures are the word of God. The still waters are the spirit of God. It's the good news of the father. And uh, that's why we need to concentrate on thinking in that regard. All right. Uh, I'm going to say it again. The mental health of Americans is not good. I'm not going to bore you with the numbers. But you know who's got the worst mental health in the nation right now? Teenagers. Counselors tell us teenagers got the worst mental health in the nation right now as far as the stress level. Because we're not designed to live like this. Now, <clears throat> it is a battle today like never before because deep darkness has covered the earth. I agree with that. I agree with you that the entertainment industry has become very dark, uh, that people are acting different today than they were 40 years ago. I, I agree that it's changed, but let me make an announcement. I don't have to eat it just because it's around me. Did you hear that? You don't have to be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You get, listen, I love you. I want you to have the best life. And a lot of times people ask me to pray for them and I just know, ain't gonna do no good. If you're hitting your toe with a hammer and you want me to pray for it to stop hurting, the answer is for you to quit hitting your toe with the hammer, not for me to pray for you. Can I get a witness? If, you, if, you're, feeding on, if you're feeding on crap and you're crappy, my prayers won't do any good. You know what the answer is? Quit feeding on it. All right. We have got to... If a little minor change would do it, you're smart enough you'd have done that. We need a major change in the way we live in this land. And what we think about, what we talk about, what we spend our time doing. Dear ones, if you follow the rats, you're going down a rat hole. I've decided to follow Jesus and let this word get in our hearts today. I do have a choice. All right, you ever heard of replacement theology? I get accused of that once in a while. I don't believe in replacement theology. I believe in addition theology. We're not replacing the Jews. We are joining the Jews in God's great economy. But I want to show you one of the verses that will show you what you got to do with your life. Let me show you one more verse before we leave about replacing thoughts. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. This is so simple. I need for folks to practice it. I need for folks to practice it. I need for you to boys on the way home tonight, I want you to say to your wife, help me, sweetheart. You're supposed, the Bible calls you my helpmate. Help me, sweetheart. Next time you see me stink, thinking stupid, tell me. Help me, honey. You're my helpmate. Help me meet the requirements. The next time you see me thinking stupid, tell me. I didn't say. I didn't say the next time you see me thinking stupid. I said the next time my thinking is stinking. Even doctors are telling us now that a lot of these 
medical conditions just come from stinking thinking. What we really need is a checkup from the neck up. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Got to get our heads fixed. Really it is. Why do you think the Bible says, my son, attend unto my words, let them be in your heart. They are healing to your whole body. If we'd even start thinking right, our bodies would get well. I don't want to show you one of the verses that teaches us about replacing thoughts. <clears throat> Before I should, well, let's read it. Matthew 12, 43. When an unclean spirit goes away from a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and find nuns, finds none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. He comes and he finds it. What? What's the word? Empty. Empty. Dear ones, this, this spirit is aggravating somebody. It's harassing somebody, a lying spirit, a deceiving spirit, a discouraging spirit. And we rebuke it. We praise God. It goes away. Let me make an announcement. He's going to make his circle around the block and come back. Yeah. Can you see he's going to come back? What, what's he looking for? He's not looking for a religious house, a mean house, a mad house. What's he looking for? An empty house. Guess what the house is? It's your mind. The house is your mind. He comes, he finds the mind empty, unattended. And uh, next verse says he brings seven more and it's worse. You get like that. All right, this is talking about your mind. It can be your soul if it's terrible demonic, but this is usually just the human mind. You know, you can get your thinking straightened out, but if you just let your head lay wide open, all right, I'm, I'm fixing to do my famous air thing here. All right, tell me the best way to get air out of a glass. Somebody say, suck it out. No, don't suck it out. Sucking it out is not the answer for two reasons. Number one, you're going you're gonna to get what they call hyperventilation because you got to keep sucking to keep it out. And then you're going to look like a fool with a ring around your face where you've been sucking that thing out. And as soon as you quit sucking, it's coming back in there. Sucking air out of glass is one of the dumbest ways to get it out. Tell me the best way to get air out of a glass. Fill it up with water. Now, as pe people wonder, I can't stop thinking these thoughts. Replace them. The way you quit thinking something is to fill it up with water. The way you get your mind straightened out is to, my son, attend unto my word. It is, I, I should have brought one of my packs with me out here. I got them all. I got them in the trucks. I got them in my back pocket. Usually I, I got them on the side of the nightstand. I've captured all the great verses and promises of God and his goodness. I put them on a little two before cards and then clip them together. And that's why somebody said, I saw you riding down the road and you ran off the side of the road. I was trying to read my cards. I was reading the thing. And I, I just keep those words before me all the time. It's not a discipline. I love it. I'll be honest with you. Them evil things have a hard time getting in when God's word fills the house. Can you see it? They have a hard time. Now, you, you want to really enjoy your life. All right, I have a long drive to work. It's 30 minutes, usually plus 30 minutes. You get the word of God in one hand. You turn, don't, don't do that mild praise music. That, that's for mild Christians. Do the wild stuff. I mean that wild stuff. And turn it up so loud that glass is cracking. Turn it up loud and you meditate that word and you sing at the same time and be sure to drive if you're driving and do all that. I mean, no demon in hell can get in there. Because why? The house is full. This is not hard. We got to fill the house with his thoughts. Last word, fight for joy. I'm going to tell you something else. Pain and misery are self-inflicted. Joy is self-inflicted. Peace is self-inflicted by his word. You need to fight for peace. Fight for joy. Fight for hope. There was, <laughs> one 
Whatever you want to do, you, we got to recognize this is a battle and you got to get into it. And uh, you, can, you can wear, all right, here's a revelation. I'll give you a revelation. I said that was the last one. This is the last one. All right, my landing gear's down, you can tell. Here we go. One of the strangest verses in the Bible, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Are you telling me that God will lead me into battle with the powers of hell? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He sure will. You know why? So, so I can learn something? No, no. That book in your hands where you learn something from. Your father will lead you into a spiritual battle so he can crush your enemy and let you know what it's like to enjoy victory. I never, when my son was playing ball and I never let him out of the truck, said, hope you lose. You'll learn something from losing. <laughs> I wanted him to win every time. Don't you understand? Why would he say things like more than conquerors if there's nothing to conquer? Well, dear, quit worrying about winning the Supreme Court. Quit worrying about winning the U.S. Senate. Just win the war between years. Win the war between your ears. <laughs> Wake up every morning, sit up in bed and go, aha! <laughs> First thing. If we had any sense, we would. The reason I do Philippians 4, 4 through 8 before my feet ever hit the floor, I'm going to get the first lick in. I am not waiting on him to show up. I know he's coming. I'm going to get the first lick in. Let me help you. You know what a good fight is? It's when you win. And if you find out it's coming, just go ahead and get the first lick in and be done with it. Just maybe the last one you get in, but make it a good one if it's the first one, all right? Lord Jesus, I just want to praise you and thank you. I pray for a revelation tonight. All you'd have to do is say, boo. And every devil in hell would be blown into hell. Every evil power on this earth would be completely annihilated. Your word said in the book of Revelation, you're going to speak one word one day and all the powers of hell will be bound for all of eternity where they'll be tormented day and night. You could stop what's going on, but you choose not to. And I want to praise you and thank you that you put us in this earth to reflect the glory of God, the battle that's in the mind. And I want to thank you. I just, Lord, I love this stuff. I, I, uh, I was never taught that there was a battle. I was never taught that those thoughts weren't mine. I was never taught that the confusion and the static on the line was from darkness. But I want to praise you and thank you that your word gives light. The entrance to your word gives light. And Lord Jesus, I just pray there's nothing like finding out you don't have to live like that anymore. That there's just nothing like finding out you don't have to be beat up. You don't have to listen to that junk anymore. There's nothing like finding out the power of God's word in the human mind that chooses to think that way. I just praise you for your beauty. I told them, folks, that the beauty I see on these screens and the beauty I see outdoors, I would love to get to know the fellow who could do that kind of stuff. Well, that's you. And I praise you and thank you. You, you created us for a life of beauty and hope and joy and excitement and excellence. You didn't create us to wallow in a bunch of garbage and fuss and carry on like people are doing. You created us to live above that. And I give you the praise and glory. I pray for every person in this room tonight. Your word received and sealed. And I want them to know, I want them to get in the ball game and find out how much fun it is to win this thing. I thank you and praise you. Thank you for giving us a free will. And tonight I want to thank you for people. I'm, I've been thankful all day long for people that you put in my life. Like Colonel McDowell, like Walter, these great, great people that overcame great adversity. 
by the Word of God and trusting you. And thank you for the people you put in our lives that really are a lamp into our feet and, and, a, and a light to us and show light. Thank you most of all for the precious Lord Jesus who walked on this earth through His Word and showed us how to really live. We want to live at the level of Jesus. Thank you that He's the first of many. And I want to be one of the many in these do too. Thank you for the goodness of Jesus. In His precious name we pray. Amen.